listening to episode 205 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our analysis of season one, Joss Whedon's Dollhouse, starring Eliza Dushku and Olivia Williams. And we're getting ready for the heat wave, it sounds like. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I just turned off the air conditioning, too. Yeah, well, you'll be turning it back on, so. Okay, well, at anyway. least good. It's, it's, I get to make a, a call one way or the other, you know, like, I hate this in-between stuff where you turn the air off and then it's still a little warm and everything. So I just like it one way or the other. Uh, I know. And I don't know about you guys. I mean, in, in addition to the battle of the remote, we played battle of the air conditioner here as well. <laughs> so she likes it cold. I like it comfortable. Right. But <laughs> I think we both know who wins that argument. Oh, a hundred percent of the time. Right. Yeah, so, that, you know, we were talking a little bit before we started uh, recording about what we're watching, and, I, you know, for some reason, I'm thinking, like, there's tons of stuff that I'm watching this summer, and, and of course, I'm watching Dark Matter, Killjoys, because I've got the screeners for Blood Drive, and they gave uh, reviewers the entire season, I've been blowing through that, so I'm way ahead of what's been aired already, okay. but... Other than those three and then Preacher, which you're going to say a little bit about, what am I missing? I don't know. That's that's what I'm watching as well. Okay. Besides, are, you watching the, are you watching The Mist? No. Yeah. I mean, I watched the first two, but th- that's all I've seen. So Is it any good? Yeah, it's okay. You know, oh, Michael and I were talking a little bit about it, about Stephen King transferring to the screen and it just seems after the shining i guess you could argue the stand miniseries when was that the late 80s maybe 80s it was pretty creepy yeah yeah, but it's where it started going downhill for me and well you liked uh 11 there right well that's true yeah good point but yeah but i I get it for for by and large uh well carrie but i guess that was before the Shine, probably, right? You're about the same time. Right. But I, I don't know. You know, so like Pet Cemetery was crap. Yeah. I mean, Stephen King's books continue to sell really well. And it just seems, and maybe I'm wrong, you know, maybe if I sat down and made a list of all the Stephen King uh, works that have been transferred to TV, I, I'd realize that they're not as mediocre as I think. But uh, The Mist is okay. I don't yeah. know. I, I just don't see me continuing with it. Okay, good. I don't feel like I'm missing something then. So Right. But Preacher, on the other hand, now I was telling you, I'm one episode behind, and we're recording this Monday morning, so the next episode airs tonight, which obviously I haven't seen, and I haven't right. seen last week. So did what you, do you want to say Did you see about? the one where they um, they go to Vegas with the, uh, the angel, chase down the angel? Yes, I did. Okay. Because that was, that, was, that was pretty good. Yeah, I'd like, you know, how... Though I'm not uh, in any way supporting the use of opioids, but uh, the one scene where uh, Cassidy and, and the Angel are doing speedballs in the hotel room and everything was uh, pretty funny. Pretty, yeah, pretty funny scene. Uh, just the way they were bonding w- w- was pretty interesting. But you know, I know I've mentioned the last couple of weeks that I've I've been surprised that my wife has really enjoyed Outcast, but I, I guess I spoke too soon because. This season has really been excessively violent, much more so than last season. And I think for her, she's, I I guess, on a hiatus. So I'm going to have to pick up without her. But I I think you'd certainly agree with that. Yeah. When I started thinking about it, you know, I realized, well, like season one did have some violence, but it wasn't like a lot of like, you know, like shoot him up type stuff. You know, like he got in like some fist fights and everything. Uh, well, except for I guess Cassidy, uh, you know, killing and cutting up the angels when they first meet him. Uh, but uh, other than that, but uh, but certainly season two started off with you know the big gun battle between the the saint of all killers. Well, not even the gun battle, just you know, and then it ended with him just you know shooting up like all kinds of people and everything, and the uh, siphoning the gas using an intestine and things like that. Uh, it, yeah, the violence is definitely amped up uh, so far in, in season two. As is the gross factor. Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, but uh, yeah, but uh, you know, it's 
you know, so, but then it has that, right? And then there's that moment. It's funny because Jay and I were just at a, um, a wedding this weekend and they had a, a, a string trio and they were playing Come On Eileen. And I like started smiling. She's like, what? I'm like, there's this great scene in Preacher where Come On Eileen comes on the radio and you know, one person's like, ah, oh, this song is terrible. And Cassie's like, yeah, it's complete, you know, ter- bad. You know, he, he uses a word. And then just kind of like subtly at first, they kind of like start like bobbing their heads and singing along to it. And then it ends up with a car chase and they're singing, come on Eileen and everything. And, and it's kind of like that, uh, that element of life and vitality and friendship that exists between the three main characters. It's kind of like really, uh, is, is the emotional core of, of the show. Yeah, yeah and, and obviously there's been a huge paradigm shift in, in that they left behind the town because, of course, it blew up. And, and we're thinking all these characters that we had made some relationships with are gone. Yeah, I know. It's crazy, right? Yeah. Um, well, you know, the end of the the first season when, um, you know, he has the big moment in church where, you know, he's like, I'm going to talk to God. And they end up. Some angel tries to pretend to be God, and he gets him to admit that God is not there. They don't know where God is. And then they show all these people in town killing each other, killing themselves. It's just this montage, and it's like, what the hell? Like, what the hell just happened? You know, like the kids kill the bus driver, you know, and uh, the two mascots that are fighting the whole time hang each other right next to each other on the same limb, and it's just... Uh, you know, and and then the whole town blows up and they're all dead anyway. So it's like, ah, it was what that, uh, it was certainly a turn. And I mean, I get, I, I don't, I've never read the graphic novel, but I assume it's mostly him on the road, right? So you gotta get them on the road so they can, you know, their big quest to find God and, uh, you can't keep them rooted in, in, uh, in Anvil, right? Which is right. like what a great name for a town that is holding you down or pulling you down and everything. So uh, I don't know. Really, uh, very compelling show though. But yeah, uh, it's the violence factor has gotten amped way up. All right. Well, I just want to do a little bit of sci-fi news before you talk about the second installment in the Librarians uh, book series, and this is. I mean, it's relatively old news. I remember running across it a few weeks ago, and and I'm sure some of the listeners know about this, but I I think we'd be remiss to not mention it, is the fact that we've got two major guest stars for season four of The Librarians. And when I say guest stars, they're not really making anything clear about how many episodes that's going to be. But number one is John Noble from Fringe, Yep, who we all know as Walter. Sure. And and the other is Rachel Nichols from Continuum. Uh, you also might know her from Alias, which is where I first uh, ran across her in, in season five of Alias, when the idea was that she was going to replace Jennifer Garner, who wanted off the show, you know, no acrimony or anything like that. Just her time had come. And then uh, G.I. Joe, where she's uh, a redhead. So both are great. I, I, I can't wait for season four for a lot of reasons, but but certainly those are two additional ones. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. Definitely going to look forward to that. And uh, yeah, like you said, who knows how often they're going to be on there. And of course, we still have Vanessa Williams in play as well. So, yep. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. As far as I know. <laughs> so, all right. What do you got for us? Okay. Well, uh, The Librarians in the Mother Goose Chase, which is the second book in the in the series, as you said. I'm not going to talk too much about it, but just to say this, that if you are a fan of the librarians and then this is like getting an extra episode, uh, you know, in your mind, right? Uh, it was uh, really well written and, you know, you could really like picture, uh, each of the characters. Um, you know, so if, if I weren't a fan of librarians and just picking up as a book to read, probably would not be too into it. Because I really wouldn't get the, but already having the the background of the characters and understanding what a library story is like, you know, I I, I was into it and I, I really liked it. So, yeah, you, if you're a fan of the show, 
uh, you will, should definitely go pick it up. It's, uh, you're going to like it. It's a good read. Like I said, it's, it's like an extra. But if you're not a fan of the librarians, then probably you're not really going to be into it. So, Yeah, no, I haven't read it yet. So, you know, maybe after I read it, we can, you know, take a show and talk about it because we're going to have some time, w- which you and I can talk about uh, sometime soon, what we're going to do after Dollhouse Season 1 and, and before librarian season four which is not expected until december but the one thing that really struck me and 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 i kind of heard it in in what you just said greg cox the author i mean he captures all of the nuances of the characters of their speech of the things that they do it's it's just like you said it's like getting an extra episode and i i'm just amazed i i you know i see him out on social media a fair amount in the TI uh, in the TNT librarians Facebook group. And I, I want to ask him, I mean, what did you do? Did you just sit down and binge all the yeah. seasons? And I mean, I guess he had to. Yeah. Well, I mean, he, he is definitely like super familiar with the show, obviously, and, and the characters um, because yeah, like you said, he does, he captures them very, very well. So. All right. Well, the, one actor I want to talk about tonight and her current projects from the uh, Dollhouse cast, of course, is Olivia Williams, who plays Adele DeWitt. And I, I came across a, a show, actually three shows that I didn't know anything about. And, and the first was a series that aired from 2014 to 2015, and she was a series regular on Manhattan which examines the life of those working on the secret project to develop the atomic bomb during World War II. And, you know, IMDb, you know, people talk about that as a uh, kind of a landing spot when you want to take a peek at a show, whether or not you're going to watch it. And I guess for me, if it's rated seven and above, it's usually a pretty good show. Mm -hmm. Now, the other one, she's a series regular on The Halcyon, which tells the story of a five-star hotel in London during World War II. So a little bit of a theme there. And then she's a series regular on an upcoming series on stars called Counterpart, which looks fascinating. I can't imagine I haven't heard about it. A United Nations employee discovers that the agency he works for is hiding a gateway to a parallel universe. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So How have we not heard about that one? I know. So uh, she'll be working on that series regular and you know, just the show in itself. I mean, look, I love Olivia Williams, but uh, the show looks really, really fascinating. Cool. So, all right. Well, before we go too far and actually need a treatment, <laughs> Wayne and I want to remind you guys, love to hear from you. Emails to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Go to the website, leave us a voicemail using the leave voicemail tab. You can record your own audio clip, send us the MP3 as an attachment, or send us a tweet at Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, and we'd encourage you to consider joining the Facebook group and join the discussions there. So, dude, we are in high gear on yes. Dollhouse Season 1. Yeah, and you know the the one thing I always remember about Dollhouse when I first watched it when it you know, was running as a regular show is that you know the first couple episodes were pretty good but then all of a sudden it kind of kicked in and went from pretty good to effing amazing yes and it was pretty much like last episode i think was where that that switch kicks in yeah and and certainly in episode seven echoes that we're going to talk about tonight it, yeah i mean it pushes the story Again, really far down the road, but not so far that we're lost. Right. And gives us a lot of backstory that we've been wondering about. How did Caroline end up in the dollhouse? Well, now we know. Right. And, and and I guess we can then extend that out. How does anyone end up at the dollhouse? And we but, see that as well. <laughs> yep. So before we go too far on this, uh, Elizabeth Kraft and Sarah Fain wrote this episode, and they also wrote Grey Hour. And this one was directed by James Conter. And this is interesting. He, he directed 13 episodes of Angel, 20 of Buffy. He directed War Stories. Ooh. Echoes Whoa. is wow. the last show he ever directed, and it appears he retired 
after this. And and he was of an age where retirement is is you know certainly something that for somebody that worked as hard as he did through his life that uh but I just found that interesting. This was yeah, this was he it. went out like a boss, man. Yes, he did. And and this one aired March 27th, 2009. Now, for me the title is spot on as the actives and the handlers alike experience past events kind of echoing in their heads and and Mr. Dominic's was perhaps the most fascinating because yeah. he comes across as humorous for once. Yeah, yeah. Reed Diamond, uh, you know, steps out from the playing uh, his role as Dominic as a complete stuffed suit jerk uh, to yeah, very funny comic comic relief from Dewitt as well. Yeah, but you know they always talk about alcohol and I guess certain drugs as you know, loosening inhibitions and that people will say what they really feel. And, and, you know, that scene where he apologizes to echo for trying to kill her all the while laughing as he's doing it again, just, just really, really yeah. well done. Yeah. Great scene. Right. Now, the other thing uh, we kind of alluded to a minute ago, Victor and Sierra's traumatic echoes may be the most poignant, even though we just see flashes of them because mm-hmm. I mean, it seemed to me that what we're supposed to take away from Sierra is that she was raped. Well, we knew that. But no, but I don't mean by her. But that's what that's that's what she's remembering, though. Okay, and and that's what I thought. But we didn't know that before this. That she was raped. Yeah. Yeah, we did. When? But Hearn. Right. That, that's what she's remembering. Hearn raping her. Oh, see, I I thought it was something else. No, I'm pretty sure it's that she's remembering that. The- okay. Okay. Well, that well, that's certainly interesting. Now, Victor, on the other hand, is remembering uh, something completely different. Yeah. In, in that he's apparently a soldier in, in the Middle East conflict, and and we see him apparently trying to help, you know, one of the. Uh, the women in the in the town in which he's fighting, and and then of course Echo takes up the bulk of this episode. So sure, um, but yeah, all of them have you know trauma from their past. That as we said, that you know try as he might, Topher can't erase everything, and so there you know obviously we talked a lot about how the actives are retaining memories, and and here's proof all three of our main actives uh all um you know are recalling uh past trauma okay now did you see the uh black and white photo i posted i don't remember whether i tweeted it or facebook grouped it or both i don't think so well a connection is made between the dollhouse and the rossum corporation which is clearly engaged in human drug induced behavioral trials that obviously relate to the dollhouse but back in 1920 a czechoslovakian playwright named carol Kapek wrote a play called r-u-r okay. rossum's universal robots oh okay which was apparently the first time the word robot was used and and as we've certainly come to expect the machines rise up against their creators in, in r-u-r as well so you got to believe that the Use of the word Rossum is certainly a, a callback to that 1920 play, which, you know, it's funny. You'd think, okay, a play that's kind of well-known among science fiction aficionados, that it's never been made into a movie. It has been a play, and uh, and there are some YouTube videos. It's funny. Apparently, a high school did the play. Oh, okay, yeah. Like, like okay, Number one, your drama teacher must be uber cool to even <laughs> choose that. Right. And your principal and your parent community must be extremely tolerant because it ain't Oklahoma, that's for sure. Yeah. No, I'm looking yeah, I see the picture that you uh, you put in uh, Twitter. Cool. So All right, well, we see the events that lead to Caroline signing over 5 years of her life to the dollhouse. And we learn what it is that the dollhouse does, which is essentially give individuals a second chance. And, you know, we've talked a lot about what positive aspects does the dollhouse offer. And you might say, well, it still deals in human trafficking and you can't dispute that. But that said, 
you know, certainly in some cases, what would be the alternative? And, you know, we'll get to some of those in, in a minute, but is it a deal with the devil? Is that what we're talking yeah. about here? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, no question. And they, you know, whereas they come on like they are giving these people a choice and the people willingly sign these contracts, um, what we really see here is that it's really not a choice. And, and uh, the dollhouse puts them in position and and holds them against their will basically until they sign and you know, so we see both at the beginning, Caroline, and then what's the guy Tom at the end, Sam, uh, Sam, right, uh, being uh, manipulated into so they have basically no choice but to sign over their lives. So well, it's, right, but, oh, go but ahead. the interesting thing with Sam though is what what are his choices? Stand trial for murder, right? But it's a choice, though, right? It is a choice. You're right. So. All right. Well, one of the things that I, that I love also about this episode is the irony that on the college campus that it's the actives that are in control while the handlers are under the influence. And even before the drug affects the handlers, they're being controlled by the actives. And we've got that one great scene when Victor confronts Dominic and, you know, uh, NSA, I think, trumps your you know, Rossum security guard. Standings. Yeah. And, so and he just goes cool. Topher, you know, just right. like, <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, because Dominic comes in he starts shooting off orders and Victor is like, oh, hold on there, buddy. You know, and you could just see, uh, Dominic cringing. And as he says, you know, just, uh, an hour ago you were arguing, you were worried about what kind of applesauce you're going to get or something like that. <laughs> yeah. That was a great line. Yeah. And then we also have the parallel storylines of Caroline going in to expose Rossum. And then, of course, Caroline and Sam going in so he can retrieve the drug, which is interesting. But the other thing is that I believe it's DeWitt that says about Caroline that she fits the profile. Now, we know what she means, fits the profile for somebody that's willing to sign over five years of their life to the dollhouse. But I, I was wondering, what do they do? Do they search out candidates do they employ brokers to you know bring people to their attention? I, I wonder how that works. Yeah, that's that's a good question. Uh, and we certainly know that they have contacts and you know and resources all over the world and in many powerful places. So you know it's it's not unimaginable that that they have you know a lot of opportunities to surveil or to get information on people who could potentially make good candidates. Yeah. Tips from local law enforcement for sure. Sure. Yeah. So, all right. Now, you know, I meant to say this a minute ago about Mr. Dominic. And I wonder though, you know, that scene that I mentioned where he apologizes to her for trying to kill her, is he going to have a change of heart towards echo or will he just simply revert to the way he's been seeing her as a threat to the dollhouse? Well, you know, apparently at the end, I'd say by and large, no. Though it's DeWitt, you know, who mockingly says, well, I, I guess you're going to tell me to put her in the attic again. And he just says like, hey, it's your call. So I guess that is a slight change there from openly advocating, you know, chucking her in the attic to, you know, kind of being resigned to that it's it's not his decision. So in other words, you think he's been listening to our podcast and, and taking your statements to heart that, dude, stop challenging your boss. Yeah, I, I guess so. He, so. Retroactively. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you know, as we look at this episode in, in, in some detail, I want to kind of go in reverse this week because the, the C story, which involves Ballard and the aftermath of the Joel Minor incident, really doesn't take up that much screen time. And, and we understand that because they've got a lot of other things they want to get to. But we've got that scene where he's making breakfast for Melly. And, you know, we're wondering, well, how is all of this going to impact his search? And look, I mean, we know that he's not going to stop looking for Caroline, but his resources have, have dried up to a certain point. But he does say that he got prints off the dead guy, but under no 
impression that he's going to turn up anything useful. And I love the fact that she's telling him to stop, drop the case. And we know that's part of her programming, sure. but I, I still like the scene. Yeah, I do. And, you know, it shows, you know, we know that, that Ballard is so single-minded. And as you said, we know he's not going to let it go. But you can look at it and say, dude, you have this beautiful woman that you're now involved with. You've basically are accused of murder. You've been dumped, uh, you know, from your work is not going very well for you. But yet he's going to just keep going. And, and at some point you get to say, right, does he sacrifice everything to single-mindedly follow this? And why? You know, why is he so adamant about this? Why, you know, why can't he give it up? Yeah, well, I, I think it's just the, the fact that he sees a wrong taking place and that that these people are being victimized by this corporation and he just wants to do the right thing and and i i guess that's his nature he just can't let it go but then later in the episode we have that scene where melly's got her bags packed and she tells him that she's leaving but not forever and, and again of course we know she's inactive so is this just part of a bigger plan or do they need her elsewhere yeah it's probably a, a little of both right but i think yeah. probably they, there's a point at which they're like well that didn't work you know our, our you know we we made the play to for him to uh you know fall in love with melly and then use her to get him to stop his investigation but that clearly isn't working so you know let's pull, her mission is done it's failed so let's bring her in and now you know yeah she's got other things to do right there are other stories other other clients out there right now we do have an engagement this week but the way they weave that with the flashbacks to caroline farrell and her dollhouse origin story again just brilliant the, the way everything's connected so let's take a look at, at the flashbacks to Caroline's life. And, and in the opening scene of the show, Caroline and DeWitt are talking, and it's clear that there's a connection to the Rossum Corporation as DeWitt offers her the your life for your life. And right. at this point, we still don't know what it is that brought her to the dollhouse, but it's clearly something really serious. But yes. the other thing that I'm not sure I noticed it when I watched it the first time, Caroline has apparently been, I'll call it a guest of Rossum for nearly two years before signing her five-year contract. Did you catch that? Uh, I thought she had said two days, but. I'm pretty sure she said two years. Hmm. We'll have to check. I thought she said two days, but, but still, I mean, either way, she's being held there against her will, right? Well, is she? I mean, I don't know. I mean, DeWitt tells her that you picked us, and then Caroline responds, well, I know what I saw. Uh -huh. So I know what I saw, meaning what's taking place at the Rossum Corporation, which she and her boyfriend learned goes far beyond animal testing because he's on the computer You know, when the guard comes in and shoots him that realizes that there are human trials going on. And, and I think they see some, some human fetuses in jars, right? Yes. But it's what they see on the computer that really freaks them out. Right. right. But yeah, because they, they, they realize that they, well, I guess they realize that, you know, Rossum is experimenting on people. Right. Now, we get a little bit of a timeline because we get that that a few years ago across the screen. So we assume that's how long she's been at the dollhouse, how many that means. I, Whenever somebody says a few, I always figure at least three because a couple would be two. So right. we learn that Caroline is a committed political activist 
and we see her at that dinner party with another couple, and, and she's intent on exposing the evil Rossum Corporation because of the animal testing, and they have a plan, and as far as plans go, it seems pretty reasonable. Break in, film the animals in cages, and put it up online. So, you know, that's a doable plan. She's got the blueprints of the Rossum building that's on Freeman College campus, notices the underground tunnels, and and now that it's real, I found this fascinating that her boyfriend's kind of balking going in. So it's like, okay, I guess he just plays at being an activist because he knows that's what she wants, I guess. I mean, she seems clearly to be the leader of this little group, wouldn't you yeah, say? Yeah, yeah. Well, at first, it looks just like, you know, kind of a bunch of college kids like, hey, man, let's break, you know. And then all of a sudden when she steals the plans, as her boyfriend points out, well, now it's serious. Now it's not just kind of like, you know, making idle plans as you're, you know, smoking a joint. Now it's now it's seriousness for real. Right. So, you know, we see them, they get in, they're in the Rossum lab, and, and as Caroline's filming the animals in cages, which that was pretty disturbing, not only because of the helpless animals being tortured, but the agitation of the yeah. animals and, and the realization that these are beings who've likely had their brain chemistry altered in some way. Yep. And also makes me wonder if she has not watched 28 Days Later or... Um what's the other oh and 12 monkeys right where yeah. where people releasing animals uh causes uh worldwide uh apocalypse so you yeah. know like you know and, and not to mention jay and silent bob strike back so you know <laughs> there's just too, too many too many examples of things going wrong when uh, college students break into uh, labs to free animals. So, yeah, good point. Good point. So, now, now I mentioned that phrase that Dewitt utters. She fits the profile, and that's when she comes to see Caroline in the hospital during the aftermath of, of uh, her boyfriend being shot by the guard, and somebody clearly alerted Dewitt about this girl and you know we, again we don't know who it was we assume law enforcement perhaps the rossum corporation i mean who knows who right. uh it said who some dude in the suit right right exactly so all right well we get to the the main story and we're back to an engagement but it's a little different because it's not a standalone engagement the way we've had in, in the first five weeks because there's an experimental drug that's affecting the campus of Freeman College. So DeWitt is tasked to go in, get things under control, and figure out what the heck is going on. So I thought, again, brilliant. And and we learned that a memory drug is missing per Clive Ambrose, who apparently is the head of the Rossum Corporation. And what they are trying to figure out is how it's working its way into the student population because, you know, well, is it airborne? Is it, as it turns out, I think it's by touch, right? By touch, yeah. But he wants an army of actives on campus to control the situation, and Topher is tasked to make an antidote, which thrills him because he gets access to the drug. But more to the point, it's that whole idea of an army of actives which first time we've seen more than two, right? I mean, mm -hmm. we've seen two a couple of times. Yeah. I don't know if there's been one before now that's been Sierra and Victor and Echo all together. Uh, you know, we've seen Sierra and Echo. So yeah, I think we've, so far we've only seen like two going, being, you know, out, out of the job at the time. Right. But we've been talking about Echo and, and these flashes of recognition that she's been experiencing. So she's on a sexual engagement as Alice when she accidentally sees the news report about the situation at Fremont College. And we see these quick flashes that we presume are flashbacks. And then she says she's got to go help, of course, leaving the guy tied to the bed. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't I don't think it is. But is that? The guy from like the very first scene we saw her in, because you know they have like the the motorcycles and everything. Remember that? 
I do. You know, I thought the motorcycles did, did make me think about that, but I for, you, you know, you may be right. I'm not sure if I am or not. I just like, because I, I saw the motorcycles and then the guy, and it could be just because, you know, that guy and the guy from episode one have the same early 2000s haircut, moosed up hair and stuff like that that look the same. But just for a second, I was wondering if it was. Yeah. I well, guess I could have about- actually done, you know, like the research and figure it out. But. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> well, we talked about the army of actives and I don't know about you, but they couldn't have rolled in any more impressively in the black SUVs, the black suits. Uh, Enver Jokai is perfect as the NSA uh, agent that's in charge of this. Uh, and I, I, again, as I, I, I said before, I love that little scene where his credentials outweigh Dominic's Rossum security guard credentials. <laughs> but yeah. um, so Melly's been recalled. And, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, what their plans for her are. At, at this point, she's functioning as Topher's test subject, right? As he tries to figure out what's going on with the drug. Right? Uh, yep. It doesn't take too long. And you mentioned this scene uh, earlier to realize that both Topher and DeWitt are experiencing the effects of the drug leading to some pretty funny exchanges. And I'm not sure which is the funniest. I I love when she tells him that she'd be in Ambrose's position as head of Rossum, except that he couldn't do her job. Right. And then Topher's like, Oh, so now we're sharing. (laughs) Exactly. And and then uh, he mentions, and then later shows her his drawer of inappropriate starches. Yeah, (laughs) which I thought was pretty funny as well. And then, again, for those of you that have seen the entire run of Dollhouse, this will certainly have some meaning. While she's still under the influence, referring to Victor, she tells Topher that, well, I have a better story about him. Right. But, of course, she never gets to reveal what it is she's talking about. And, of course, we know or we assume. Well, you know, watching this the first time, you probably – don't even really take note of that line. Uh, but if you, you know, if you've seen it before, then that has a lot of meaning to it, you know? So echo or Alice would, you know, again, we run into this problem on a weekly basis. She's now found herself on campus and she's immediately taken into custody by Victor ends up with Sam, who's one of the grad students working in the lab in that opening death scene when that one guy bashes his head against the window. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. If, do we do we see whether he actually goes through the glass eventually? I can't remember whether he just like... Uh, well, we don't see him go through the glass, but we see him break the glass. Yeah. And then we find but, out later that you know he went through it. Right. But then she utters you know that, that line, I know who I am and tells him, you know, furthering idea that she's slowly remembering her past. And, and the next thing we know, she wants to get into the Rossum building and claims to know how to do it. And, and, you know, we talked about how all these things fit together. She runs into Boyd, who suggests a treatment, no effect. Yeah. And, and you know, Boyd is because, you know, the, the one girl, uh, the student, touched him. And so he is now kind of under the effects of the drug, and he's just like, "Hey, wow, did not maintain control of that situation." <laughs> you know, so you know, we see these people like you know Boyd and Dewitt and Dominic, who are all these super in control people. You know, obviously funnier to see. You know, it's it's very entertaining to see them not in control. Right. It's the interaction between Topher and DeWitt that, that makes it so funny. I mean, we see Topher like that all the time. Right. Yeah. For Topher, it's not much of a change. Right. But, you know, going back to, you know, the confrontation when, when Boyd suggests the treatment and it has no effect, that has nothing to do with the drug. That's Caroline, I guess, trying to regain control of Echo. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because the well, it could be also maybe the way he asked as well. I, I was wondering because yeah, I, I was at the time like, well, wait. She always says yes when he asks if she wants a treatment, but 
I think maybe the way he asked it, or as you said, Caroline now is kind of running the show. So she's not on that automatic pilot that Echo is. Right. I mean, she's task driven at this point. And while she and Sam head toward the building, one of her former professors recognizes her. But of course, there's no reciprocal recognition on Caroline's end. So so we know whatever progress she's making trying to break through, it, it's it's certainly only partial. So let's just stop there on that professor there because she is now a pretty big deal. Not okay. the professor, but the actress. Okay. So on did, what? Well, have you did you see Hidden Figures? No. So that actress Octavia Spencer has a big role in Hidden Figures about uh, these uh, women of color who uh, worked on NASA during the 60s. okay. Uh, I mean, I know that I heard of the show. I've never seen it. Yeah. So she's been in tons of stuff. Um, But I remember her uh, mostly from a very memorable engagement that she did as uh, in the first Spider-Man movie. Oh, okay. When uh, I don't know if you remember that movie when Peter Parker, uh, Tobey Maguire at the time goes, he wants to make some money with his new abilities, so he goes to this big like wrestling uh, thing. He ends up actually wrestling Macho Man Savage, Randy the Macho Man Savage. But uh, Octavia Spencer plays the lady who who checks him in. She has like a really, it's only like a couple. Like maybe thirty second, one minute part, but it was just she really uh, did a great job with it. So she's just a, a she's a very very good actress, and to see her in this very small role, like her career has you know exploded since uh, Dollhouse. Um, so it's funny to see her in the early days here, you know, in a in a very yeah. small part. Okay, cool. Well, you know, you, you mentioning that show she's in. Uh, about you know women in color and their role in in the NASA program. There was a Timeless episode. You watch Timeless, right? Yes, right, right. And that, which came out like the I think the movie came out about the same time that Timeless did that episode. Oh, okay. So, all right. Well, back to the dollhouse. Melly is glitching, and we see her flashing to something in her past, but we have no context for it at this point. So. Uh, Again, whatever's going on with this drug, and of course, when we hear it referred to as a memory drug, obviously that's kind of a big deal. Right. Now, Caroline realizes right away that she's been here in this building before, and along the way, you know, they encounter Dominic, who's under the influence, and this is the scene where he apologizes for trying to kill her. Yeah, but because who does that? But this is one detail that seemingly has no meaning for her. So again, is she? She's not Echo at all. I, I assume at this point. But even if she was Echo, would she recognize that Dominic's been trying to kill her? So exactly it's really, right. You know, it's it's really interesting whether or not anything will will come out of it remains to be seen. But then Sierra and Victor start glitching, and it becomes clear that the drug eventually affects actives as well just in a different way you know we we see the scene where where she's being raped and victor's in battle and then finally dewitt and topher figure out that the original kid that killed himself was actually murdered which then leads to that scene in which sam takes a vial that he's hidden in the rossum lab and and we learned ah you're the killer right i mean you didn't actually kill the guy but you're clearly going to go on trial for it right yeah and and uh caroline slash alice slash echo points that out when she says just because you didn't mean to kill him doesn't mean you're not guilty you know right like he overdosed uh owen uh in order to steal the the rest of the drug and you know as a result of that action uh owen died and so, you know, he, so Sam very quickly goes from a heroic, sympathetic character to a devious, awful, and villainous character, like in the, you know, the snap of a finger. Right. And, and I mean, we assume he's a grad student in this program. And again, on, on just a lower level, 
you know, the scientist that doesn't look at the big picture. I mean, for him, it's about money, right? I mean, very right. often you know, when, when the science uh, gets loose, the scientist is really just so wrapped up in his or her work that they don't see the big picture. For him, it's just about the money. Right. And, you know, selling this drug to Rossum's uh, competition. So, yes. as you said, he's a sympathetic character one moment, but it doesn't take long to lose that feeling. Exactly. Right. Yes. And, you know, at this point, she's still Alice on, on several levels, but is she becoming Caroline? And I think we'd have to say at this point, yeah, Caroline's trying to break through. Now, once she gets back to the dollhouse, how will Topher and DeWitt handle that? Again, something that, that we'll look for in the next couple episodes. Right. And you know, you see at the end there where DeWitt is watching her and then the, the, you know, the conversation between DeWitt and Dominic, you know, is the realization now. I mean, there it's not they can't ignore it anymore that there is something going on with Echo that is uh above and beyond uh the other actives. Well and, and then we get to the epilogue. And it's that scene with Sam and DeWitt where she offers him a deal. And I'm going to make you an offer. And it's almost like, you know, straight out of the Godfather. Right. But what are his options? Go to prison for murder? Isn't this a better choice? Or is it? Yeah, that's that, that that's a good question. But I think, you know, DeWitt portrays it as a way you really don't have a choice. We could let you go. You'll go to prison and, you know, your mother will, her financial difficulties will still be a thing. Uh, whereas you give us five years, you don't go to prison and we, we take care of your mom. You know, so they, they, they have like the leverage, you know, right. They know now exactly case- what buttons to push. Right. And in his case, it's fairly cut and dried. In Caroline's case, what did she do? She didn't murder anybody. Right. She didn't kill anybody. Right. Breaking and entering. Now, yeah. Did and that's s- still like, it's not like, um, you know, you sign over five years of your life t- for uh, breaking into a building. Like, eh, it seems like they have more on her. Right. And and then again with Victor, we don't know what happens in his uh wartime experience. We don't know exactly. I mean now, now again, you you contend that that flash that Sierra has is with Hearn. I'm yes. not convinced and again, it's one of those things that it's been a while so I don't really remember what it is, you know, maybe, maybe you do. But regardless, it goes back to well what's the payoff? For them, I mean, we get what the payoff is for Sam. You don't go to prison and your mom's taken care of. So right. what's the payoff for Victor? What happened in battle that he would sign over five years of his life? So, you know, we, we have a lot to look forward to for sure. Yeah, yeah. And, that's, and, and honestly, I mean, we don't know the, the, the time frame from when Caroline was in the hospital to when she's sitting in front of uh, DeWitt um, because she, she escapes from the hospital, right? DeWitt, it's not right after, you know, what has, has other stuff going on in, you know, in between those two times. Interesting stuff for sure. I mean, one of the, one of the first things I'm going to do after we're done recording is go back and, and figure out whether she was there almost two years or almost two days. Cause, cause that's kind of important because my point was going to be, if she's been trying to make up her mind for almost two years, what has she been doing in all that time? Right. You know, taking two days doesn't seem like that big a deal to, to need that amount of time to make up your mind about a decision. That's certainly so right. consequential. But I, 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 I just think like she's only been in the actual physical building for, for two days. I, I don't know. I'll have to go back and see. But what I did find out is that the engagement that she's with is the guy from the first episode. Oh, Matt. Okay. He, so the 
So I guess he, this dream date he has with her, he's had a number of times, apparently. Interesting. All right. So uh, anything else you want to add? I don't know. I think that might be kind of it. There was, I mean, just, there was so much uh, going on in this one. Oh, there's one thing that I thought was funny. Um, you know how Topher, once he's been affected by the drug, which, do we know how that happened, by the way? Um, well, I guess it happened from him having the sample. So, you know, maybe somehow he, you know, touched it. And then, and then of course, maybe shook hands with DeWitt or maybe DeWitt, you know, when she handed it to him, Okay, you know, I'm not, I'm not so, really sure. Right. So yeah, they didn't really make a, a thing of it. Um, so the drug is called N7316, right? Uh, yeah. but when he's like, you know, experiencing it, he's, he says, uh, he calls it seven, three, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Which I thought was kind I of I like funny. it. <laughs> so, all right. Well, I guess that'll do it for this edition of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Love to hear what you think about Dollhouse. Anything else in genre television, encourage you to join the Facebook group, share your thoughts with the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch community. And if you're already a member, spread the word. Emails can go to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com or voicemails can go via the SpeakPipe tab, which you can access through the website. We'll be back next week to talk about Dollhouse Episode 8 of Season 1 titled Needs. But until then, Dave, think about pretty things, rainbows. <laughs>